Welcome to Hustle and Pro Season 2, talking sports in Frisco from youth to pro. Now here's your host, Kelly Walker. Welcome to this episode of Hustle and Pro. You all know that I love my baseball and my Rough Riders, so I'm thrilled to welcome the president and GM of the Frisco Rough Riders, Victor Rojas. Welcome. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming in talking to us. All right, off the top here, before we get talking about some things, I always like to do some icebreakers. Mm-hmm. And I want to know a couple of your sports preferences. So if you had to tell me who your favorite athlete was, who would that be? Was or still is? Is. is. The, well, yeah. my, my favorite, well, my dad's my favorite, my mentor, you know, having played 16 years in the big leagues. As far as other players are concerned, Don Mattingly was probably, when I was in college, had the most influence on me. I had a chance to meet him when... My dad was managing the Angels in 1988, and uh, from that point forward, he, he kind of became my guy. As a matter of fact, I named my daughter Mattingly oh, wow. after him. So, uh, yeah, he's probably the one. And then Mike Trout now, currently, as far as current players, is Yeah, you got to get your Angels, Angels yeah. guys in there. Yeah. Uh, what about sports movies? Uh, Field of Dreams uh, is, is up there, but for me, The Natural is probably uh, still number one. Uh, again, uh, I took... Uh, Roy Hobbs's name, and I, I stuck it in uh, my son's middle name is, oh is my, Hobbs. Oh, so my gosh. Tyler Hobbs. Wow. Yeah. You really commit. Yeah. 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 Field of Dreams is one of my favorites, too. Yeah, we, good movie. We recently talked about all of our favorite sports movies, and baseball happened to be, like, my top five. All right. So I'm asking you, this is an old one that I asked in season one, but I'm curious because of your experience in clubhouses and, and all your time with baseball. So uh, do you have any superstitions in sports, either you as a player no. or that you've seen that are interesting? Yeah. I, I never liked uh, touching the foul line when I crossed onto the field or crossed off of it. Uh, that was always one that, uh, for whatever reason, as a pitcher, when I was at the Angels system, I never, for whatever reason, I was a reliever, and I never liked taking the baseball from the manager. Mm. And I got some strange looks. <laughs> uh, I would ask him to drop the baseball, and I wouldn't pick up the baseball until it stopped rolling. And so I picked it up there, and from that point forward, okay. I would throw my first pitch. My first warm-up pitch was pre- pretty much from the landing area. Then I would walk up to the rubber and then get my uh, my next seven warm-up pitches. And uh, I couldn't tell you where that came from. It was just one of those things, idiosyncrasies, that yeah. I just started and... And kept doing it. Something in your head. Yeah. You wanted the catcher to have. You wanted the catcher to give it to you after you'd thrown a pitch. Uh, well, yeah. After that, it's fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Once once I've thrown no, the ball, I just I mean care. you didn't want to get it from the from the manager's hand. Correct. How Correct. Funny. Skip. Go ahead and drop it. Yeah. He's looking at me like, what? Just drop it. And whatever it stopped rolling, that's when I picked it up. That's funny. Yeah. That's a good one. All right. So it was just recently announced that you are taking over at the helm of the Rough Riders. And before that, I want to run down some things so that our audience kind of gets familiar with. With your history, because it's a it's a good one. It's a long one. It's extensive. It's extensive, but I'll, <laughs> I'll be fast. So um, you were a college player, and then you jumped into coaching in 93 in the Marlins system. And I'm not going to cover all of it. Obviously, there's a lot. But then you started your play-by-play world in the minors uh, for the Newark Bears, mm-hmm. and you were also GM there. Mm-hmm. Then you went to the Diamondbacks, and you had five seasons here for our Rangers. Yep. And then uh, you were a host on the MLB Network. Yep. Then 11 seasons. So the most recent was 11 seasons with the Angels right. in Anaheim. Wow. So yeah. you do love baseball, right? Yeah, a little bit of everything. Kind of grew up in it and uh, fortunate to uh, still be working in it. So, yeah, it's one of those things where after playing and after uh, coaching a little bit, I, I thought the front office side was going to be my my world. And that kind of encompassed from 95 to 2000, bouncing around from minor league baseball, arena football, and National Hockey League. So I did a little bit of everything in front offices and in, and in arena management as well. And then in 2000, when I had this wild hair to say, I'm going to try broadcasting. 
And I ended up going to through a friend of mine who was coaching up there, connected me with the owner of the team, Rick Cerrone, former catcher for the Yankees, owned the the Bears, and he brought me up there, made me the assistant GM and color commentator or analyst on the radio broadcast. Simultaneously, you were assistant yeah. GM? So I was uh, independent ball, so I was responsible for the signing of players. And so in independent ball, you sign everybody. It was your responsibility. And so he wanted me, because of my connections in baseball, to do that. But he knew that I wanted to try the broadcasting side of things. And we already had a play-by-play guy. Um, so I went up there in February of 2000. Our play-by-play guy quit like a month later. So before the season started, I became the default play-by-play guy with zero experience. And uh, I had signed a couple of former major league players that were friends of mine. Then I ended up signing Jose Canseco and Jim Laritz, Lance Johnson. So all of a sudden it became this big hoop to do in Newark that we had all these major league players on our roster. Yeah. And then a month into the season, our GM was let go. And then you know Rick just moved me over to the uh, to the GM role. Wow. So, I, so did, I did both. Yeah. Which isn't fun because when you're doing play by play and your shortstop gets hurt on a 24-man roster, you stop doing play-by-play in your head, and yeah. you're thinking, how am I going to replace my shortstop yeah. from tomorrow? You, you, know? you switch gears real fast. Open, open tryouts tomorrow. Or you're also probably thinking you have to censor yourself of what, yes. you know, what, your, what your broadcast <laughs> voice is saying versus what your manager Correct. mind is thinking. Correct. Man, so yeah, so the opening in the play-by-play booth really created a new career path for you that you didn't yeah. plan on. Yeah, no, and even, even that 2000 season with Newark, you know, getting a chance to to sign players and deal with agents and so on and so forth, it kind of opened my eyes to that side of thing. I had, like I said, already kind of ventured into the front office side, more of a sales perspective. But from a baseball operations side, yeah, you know, I'm thinking, well, maybe maybe this is what I was meant to do. But I made a decision that offseason after my first year there, I ended up working with MLB Radio, which is now MLB.com and in its infancy. And that's when I really said, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the the broadcasting side of things. And I'm glad I did. I spent one more year and then I eventually got hired by the Arizona Diamondbacks. All right. So you mentioned your your dad. So growing up as a kid of a major league all-star, did you always know baseball is where you wanted to be? I knew that that's a sport that I loved and I and I had a true passion for, but I, I played all kinds of sports. I played, I did track, I did basketball, I played tennis, mm-hmm. quite a bit of tennis as a matter of fact. And dad never forced us one way or the other. He said, play as many sports as you want. I grew up in Kansas City, so you're limited anyways. Um, and it wasn't this year-round phenomenon that we have now yeah. in, our, in our sports world. But I, I, I knew that I wanted to pursue baseball. Um, I played tennis my freshman year because my brother was a senior and I was a freshman and I wanted to play varsity with him. And uh, no, no baseball, oh, baseball, baseball, Sorry. and that was not going to come to fruition. Uh, just wasn't going to make the varsity team. So I said, "All right, I'll go play varsity tennis instead." And so I did that my freshman year, and then I played baseball the rest of the time. That's what I did. Yeah. I couldn't play high school softball as a freshman. I was moving school systems, and so I couldn't have tried out in the spring already. So I played varsity tennis as a freshman and learned a new a new skill. Yeah. And yeah, did that for a year while I earned my chance to try out and then continue playing softball. I was stubborn. I could have played JV baseball as a freshman. I just decided, no, no I'm going to play varsity, varsity tennis. Varsity or bust. That's it. That's, yeah. it. That's it. That's funny. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned that you also had some time working with the NHL and arena football and then like stadium operations or or arena operations, Mm -hmm. I think you mentioned it. So I'm guessing that you can bring pieces of those jobs with you to baseball, even though they're obviously completely different sports. But is there anything you can recall that you've learned from the hockey world or anything that you are bringing to to your baseball To this new role now? Uh, Well, I I think you could definitely go back and and pick up you know, points in time as far as your history is concerned and be able to pull the information. I think, like everything else, 
nomenclature's maybe changed a little bit in the last 20 years since I've been doing the broadcasting thing and since I was running the, the Bears organization. Uh, but aside from that, it's all essentially the same thing. We're, we're operators of a building. Uh, we've got tickets to sell. Uh, we have events to book. And uh, I'm fortunate that, especially when I worked for leisure management. So when I left the Florida Panthers from a sales perspective, I went into a sales role with the arena management side, uh, their, their current facility, which was being built at the time. And I think that helped really kind of lay a foundation for what uh, being an operator is and mm-hmm. uh, the different facets and the things that go into putting on an event and profit and loss margins and, and statements and stuff like that. Um, that certainly has helped me. Yeah. Uh, but again, it's kind of getting back into it. And I, so far, it's been it's been really a week since I've been doing it yeah. uh, on a full-time basis. And it, it's kind of like riding a bike, you know, and it's just getting up to speed as to how things are done now. The contexts have certainly changed in the last 20 years. Sure. Um, but uh, you definitely draw on experience. I and, think that's what it's all about. Some of those things aren't going to change. You know, right. P&Ls and how facilities yeah. are run, they're they're run the way they're always kind of, kind of been run. But maybe the ticket sales and um, marketing side of things. No question. I mean, that just, it's hard to keep up when you're in it every season, right? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the Rough Riders do a great job of being able to connect with their audience. We have... I mean, I'm biased, obviously, because I'm a fan and a ticket holder, but we have such a great market here, Mm -hmm. Um, yet I still know that there's, I'm baffled when I run into friends and family that still don't know who the Rough Riders are and that they're they're five minutes from my house. There's really good double-A baseball being played here. So, I mean, would you agree that keeping up and learning new marketing tactics is is a big challenge and a learning curve for you right now? Without a question. I mean, uh, it's... We didn't have social media 20 years ago when we were trying to promote the Newark Bears. We we leaned on the ESPNs of the world because of the big name guys that we had. Yeah. Um, so in essence, we were doing it, but at a different scale. Uh, today, it's a lot different, yeah. uh, especially in this marketplace. Uh, you know, for us, I think you, you look, uh, you know, across the parking lot is the, the Dallas Stars. And you got the legends. Uh, just down the road, you got the uh, FC Dallas. The Cowboys are across the freeway. I mean, there's a, there's a number of different options and opportunities for folks to to take in professional sports. And I think for us, the way I look at it is, uh, I think we belong in that conversation. I think we need to kind of you know, maybe throw a little elbow here and there at the, at the big boy table and, and, and kind of let everybody know that we're still here. And yeah. especially in this market, considering how uh, how it continues to grow, yeah. you know, for, for every person or per family that departs, you maybe have two or three families coming back in oh, and growing yeah. the area. So it's, so many it's just amazing. So especially from a business perspective. Yeah. I mean, so many transplants mm-hmm. just on, on future fans that you can introduce the Rough Riders to yep. that are coming here from other markets. And then, yeah, from a business perspective, I mean, there's an endless amount of sponsors, potential sponsors and sponsorship opportunities that make sense with you guys. So, no, doubt. no doubt. Yeah. you've. It's probably a challenge, but also one of the best opportunities you have here to, to be successful because there's, like I said, we're a strong market with lots of Lots of good things happening here. Yep. And the question is, is how do you, you know, you got to be careful about it, right? Because we're coming, we're still in the pandemic and yeah. you know, how, how, not pushy, I, I don't like using that term, but aggressive. how do, how aggressive are we in yeah. pursuing certain things? And I think that's where you kind of have to find the balance. Well, it is because you don't know how your fans are sitting with their comfort levels mm-hmm. of different things. Right. So you guys have had to be, especially in this off season, y'all had to be very cognizant in communicating with fans here are your options. Mm-hmm. If you feel comfortable keeping this in case you can come into our ballpark, great. If not, let's roll you over and, you know, whatever your comfort level is, 
you guys are able to adapt to that, which has been great. Right. So that you don't lose people, but at the same time, you don't turn someone away if, if you do have a game and you can come sit in the stadium. Yeah. All right. So I'm curious, working with so many different MLB teams over your career and playing and coaching and all of the different jobs that you've had, when you're at home and baseball's on TV, do you actually still enjoy watching or you have so many different like allegiances and things going on that it's difficult for you to enjoy it as a sport now? No, I, I still watch it. I enjoy watching it. Uh, you know, perfect example is the playoffs. So especially with my son and my family, they like watching it as well. I, uh, I find myself, um, during the regular season, there are certain broadcasters that I like to listen to. I think, you know, it's such a subjective business uh, industry. I think everyone kind of has a, a favorite broadcaster and someone that they like to crush. I mean, yeah. that's just the nature of our industry. Yeah, somebody that you, you turn the volume down yeah. on that game and watch it and listen to the yeah. radio speed. Or, or in football, you kind of roll your eyes and like, oh, I'm stuck with this guy this yeah. year, uh, this game. But, yeah. um, you know, I, I get it. and But I enjoy watching the game. I enjoy watching the nuances of the game. My my family is still stunned at times when I sit there and, and I'll explain to them, uh, you know, this this is going to happen or, or a broadcaster says something and I'll say, well, why is that? You know, follow up with it. And and I and I give the reason and then they sit there inevitably look at me and go like, oh, yeah, you, you can kind of do this stuff, huh? Yeah. I said, yeah, I've got a little experience doing it, but oh, yeah. I, I love the game. I love the game. I have a passion for the game of baseball. And uh, that's why I like the uh, the opportunity that Chuck presented me with uh, coming to Frisco. Baseball at the minor league level, at the grassroots level, it's it's, it's so different than major league baseball and and the and the big stadiums and the atmosphere there. And that's that's what I think I love the most. I've always enjoyed minor league baseball. I enjoyed playing it. I love being in Newark. Um, and now I'm I'm looking forward to this opportunity here in Frisco and kind of growing this uh, this brand a little bit more. Now, that was something I was going to ask you in a few minutes, but since you brought it up, I'm going to go ahead and go there now. I love a lot of things about the Rough Riders because um, it's just, you know, like I said, it's our backyard, so there's specific things that we love. Kind of being new to this ballpark, you, you're getting the feel for it now, and, mm-hmm. you know, you haven't been here and experienced a season yet with us, but what are some of the things you've probably heard about that you're most excited to jump into with the culture of the Rough Riders? Really, it's just the uh, the fan base and how passionate they are about their team and uh, the, the longtime season ticket holders, the Founders Club members uh, and the memberships that come along with that and how many there are and still to this day that uh, were there day one in 2003, 2004 yeah. when, when Mandalay and Mr. Hicks owned the, the franchise and moved it here. Uh, that's amazing to me, which is fantastic that you still have that connection to what happened here the inaugural season. And so I, I think that's kind of cool. The ballpark is unique. There's no question about it, especially from an aesthetic standpoint. Yeah. But as you start thinking about things, especially with this new partnership with Major League Baseball and them overseeing the minor leagues, there's going to be some things that we, there's going to be an adjustment period. This is this will, will be year one of what we hope is a, a 10-year agreement with Major League Baseball and being the affiliate of the Texas Rangers. And so there's, there's going to be some adjustment period for us, there's going to be some adjustment period for our fans. There's mm-hmm. going to be some new areas, some some areas that were there that may not be there. And the players. So, and players are always changing, right? Yeah. Um, so I, but, I think, for, especially from a social distancing standpoint. So <laughs> I think it's just a mindset of you know wrapping your head around. It's We're, we're going to be back to baseball at some point. 
uh, and the game itself is going to be the same. On the field. But how we handle our business and how we interact with our fans, that might change a little bit. There's going to be some kid gloves, and and that's just the nature of it. That's how everything has been. No doubt. No doubt. You have to adjust to it. I think we're different and better off today, meaning all of us, today Mm -hmm. than we were 12 months ago. You know, 12 months ago, life was normal. 10 months ago, all of a sudden, everything, yeah. you snap a finger and everything completely changed. And I think everybody's been able to adapt. I think for the most part, everyone's like an offensive lineman. I hate to use sports metaphors, but head on a swivel. You got you to gotta be, be able ready. to be ready because you don't know what's, what's yeah, happening and be have, able to adjust to it. Don't have all your weight too, no doubt. too much in one place because no you will get knocked over. Yes. You have to be able to pivot and, sure. and be flexible. For sure. But you mentioned the, the partnership with MLB. So, I mean, if anything, I, I don't even know what some of the examples with that would be, but then I maybe think, well, then, okay, we adapt just more of the things that look like the Rangers or some of the way that they do operations. So that's not a bad thing. I mean, especially for people like us that are Rangers fans too. And maybe there's even more overlap. One of the things we love most is seeing our players get called up mm-hmm. and you know developed up through the system. And then we see them on the Rangers roster for years to come. We're starting to, to lose some of that those uh, favorite players now. I know they're already kind of coming out of the system like – Rugi and, and those guys, but yeah. there'll Elvis. be more. Yeah, and Elvis, Elvis I yeah. know. It seems like so long ago that Elvis was here, but um, there'll be more, and yeah. it'll keep going. But I would think that that's only going to strengthen maybe mm-hmm. as, the, as the partnership changes a little bit with the way the majors are run, running the minor league. Yeah, team. no, ideally, I think, I think that is a possibility for sure. And I, you know, having been with the Rangers, there's still so many folks in that front office that are there today that were there when I was with Texas, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14 years ago, which is wonderful. And I think that's what I like about the idea of still being a Rangers affiliate, that I want to build that connection with them and continue that connection or even grow it to a certain extent so that we do have, I don't mind the overlap. I think that's great that we do have some overlap. I do too. Um, and, And I think we should exploit the fact that they are our affiliate, they are our parent club. Um, and I want that old that old school mindset of when you did back in the day when it was a parent club, you always looked up to the parent club for yeah. for the the guidance. And we're still going to do our own thing, but I love the idea of being able to work with them hand in hand. Yeah, I mean, you can have your own personality, but mm-hmm. I do too. I think looking up to them to where it's a, a bridge mm-hmm. that is a seamless kind of back and forth. And Absolutely. It's, it all works together. I think the Legends and the Mavs do a good job of that. You can see seamless now. They have these. They actually have roster spots that are two way, so it's a little different. Mm-hmm. Where players literally can go back and forth, and they're actually drafted by the Mavs and play back and forth right. throughout the season. So it is more seamless. But um, they do a good job of that. To where you use and look up to the structures that they've built, but you make your own. Mm-hmm. You know your own personality and your own fans here in your local part of the market. Um, fall in love with you, you know? No doubt. Yeah. All right. So I want to, I want to ask you about big fly gear. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about this until you, you came here to the Rough Rider. So I saw this in your bio. So tell me what this is, big fly gear. So uh, b- big fly is a term, it's a baseball term for a home run. And it's, uh, was my call for pretty much all 20 years. I, I was in broadcasting for anybody hit a home run. It was, especially for our team. I didn't call it for the visiting team, but uh, it was Big Fly and then the person's name. And uh, about three years ago, three and a half years ago, we decided that we wanted to start a business. We didn't know what that business was going to be, but I knew that it was probably going to be sports-related somehow and that I liked the term Big Fly for the business, whether it's Big Fly barbecue sauce or whatever. It just kind of rolled off the tongue yeah, for me. Yeah. I just liked it. And uh, so about two years uh, ago, we came up with this concept. Two and a half years ago, we came up with this concept of apparel. What we didn't want to be is another licensee, another baseball apparel company, because they're, they're dime a dozen. There's yeah. a ton of them out there. Yeah. 
And so I came up with this concept of creating unique graphics, unique art that tells stories. Since I was a storyteller as a broadcaster, I wanted to continue that relationship uh, with our company. So we take a person, place, and or moment in baseball history revolving around the home run. Mm-hmm. We create a one-of-a-kind graphic that doesn't have a player's name or player's likeness to it. But the, the graphic itself kind of tells a story. You kind of have to dig a little bit. Mm-hmm. But we provide the story on every one of our pages that has the graphic. So you get an explanation of where the okay. design came from or the inspiration for that design. So we, you know, we've, we've done things for well, Hank Aaron one Unfortunately, since he passed away a couple of days ago, uh, we have a 755 uh, graphic that's up there. It's self-explanatory. That's the number of career home runs that he hit. Cool, and yeah. that's been obviously picking up here yeah. over the last couple of days. We've done the Hebrew Hammer, which is Hank Greenberg, the Hall of Famer. Millville Meteor, which is Mike Trout. That's his nickname. And with Mike's case being a, a, a current player, I reached out to his representative. I know, obviously know Mike, but I went through his representative and asked him if he'd be cool if we used the graphic. And we'd be happy to make a donation to uh, you know one of his charities. Yeah. And he said, absolutely, you can you could use the graphic, and we don't keep it all to yourselves. You guys are fine. And so he's the one current player that has given us his blessing. That's cool, uh, and which is really cool. So yeah. we, we've done Babe Ruth, uh, any number of guys that we've done. Lou Gehrig as well as our number four train. So it kind of makes you think a little bit. And and the idea being from a storytelling perspective is that you like our graphic and you understand that, so you wear it. And the hope is that someone else sees it. Hey, what is that? that's kind of cool? And now you are sharing that story exactly. of that moment or person or place. And that's that's. The whole premise behind it. And we launched in February of 2019. I love that. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I'll have to go look at it because I do. I have a few shirts. There's a local t-shirt company. I, I hate. They hate when I call them that, probably because they're much more than that. But Tumbleweed Textiles. Oh, okay. And so there's a few of their shirts that because I know them, I know the story behind the design. Right. Um, and when I wear them, like I just feel compelled when someone comments, "Hey, I like your shirt." I feel compelled to like not leave it at that, but to explain. Right? Oh yeah, you do. Well, did you know that you know uh, the guy that drew it? He's an art teacher here in Frisco, and that the word Texas is hidden right here. And, That's you know, cool. Like I just like to you know overshare yeah. it, overexplain yeah. stuff we, like that. We have things like you know, the little Easter eggs, if you will, in, in our graphics as well. Yeah. Not all of them, but there's certain ones that that we put little things in there, and we sometimes we explain it, sometimes we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a gentleman. Uh, email me the a couple weeks ago about one of our graphics saying, "Did you realize this?" And uh, I'm like, "That graphic's been up for almost a year and a half." Yeah, we we know what it is, but you're the first person to to actually to figure it out and catch it, which is cool. Yeah, we're family owned, we're operated, we run it out of our house. Uh, we initially thought from a um, from a cost perspective when we launched that we would be a drop shipper and just load up our graphics. You go buy the shirt and they send it to you and print it. I did. I didn't trust the quality control of it, the quality assurance of mm-hmm. it, and so we we decided to make the commitment, and we carry the inventory. My wife is the one that pretty much now that I'm have a, a full time yeah. job again. Yeah. Uh, she handles all the orders and processing, folds it up. She does the tissue paper, wraps wow. it, and bows it up. So it's all it's she's, the Rojas family. Yeah, she's yeah. making it, making it work. That's cool. Yeah. Well, thanks. I just wanted to. Check in. I didn't. I didn't go look at it yet, but I definitely will, especially knowing you'll that you'll see some familiar looking faces. We're all the models. Yeah? Cool. So, oh yeah, yeah. yeah, it's cheaper that <laughs> That's way. That's great. That's great. Very cool. Well, Victor, thank you for stopping by. I know that you are probably swamped taking on a new job like this uh, right now when baseball season is upon us, and there's so many questions that are being answered right now. So I appreciate your time today, and we are rooting for the Rough Riders and ready for baseball to come back. So. So we'll be there when, whenever it is. Fingers crossed that we get uh, our boys back on the field sometime in May or early June. That's the hope. Yes, sir. That sounds good. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Hustle & Pro. Make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts, and we will see you next week. 